0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast. This is your host, Francesco Cipollone, Frank for Friends. And today we have a friend of ours, a friend of the community of Etsy, that I'd like to discuss a little bit about how he experienced the transformation of the industry from the early days uh, and the transformation of application security program. And that's what we touch, and that's how we connect and click. So uh, I have the honor and the pleasure to have Chris Gigiotte, and I might have butchered <laughs> the name, so hopefully not, <laughs> but is the Director of Security Engineering for uh, JustWork, and previously has been doing application security for several big organizations that we all know about, very engineering-focused. So I was really keen to have you on the show. Chris, or oh, Christian, welcome to the show. Tell us a Thank little you. bit more about you. <laughs>
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, so in my current current role overseeing uh, security engineering at JustWorks, uh, previous previous roles uh, were you know overseeing engineering functions at Compass Real Estate Tech Company, and also uh, as a practitioner at, at Etsy. And so, been in security you know eight and a half years now. So certainly you know seen you know shifts and changes, but it's it's super interesting time, and you know happy to to be here talking with you about it. So
1: thank you very much for coming on the show and. Maybe on that subject, how did you start in in cyber? As one of the questions we tend to ask our practitioner friends.
2: Yeah, no, it's a it's a good question. You know, for me, I actually didn't start in in cyber. You know, my I actually thought I was going to be a teacher. I was going to teach English in high school. That was something that I found that I I wanted to do. And then when I went to go apply for the program that I you know the, the to, to to pursue master's work, I didn't get in. And so I'm like, oh man, what do I do now? <laughs> so. Uh, I spent some time working at Apple, and then after Apple, I moved into IT. And w- once I did that, I started kind of, you know, becoming more aware of of security and its importance, and just curious, so, like, w- what is its importance in, in in an enterprise, and and how can I get involved? And so, and so, it wasn't until I got to Etsy where I was able to actually, you know, really act on that and start to, you know, make contributions and be a part of the community. And so. And then from there, you know, it was really just learning and growing, right? And 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 growing into, uh, you know, a, a practitioner, and then moving into an engineering manager role, and then now moving into a director role. And so, yeah, and I, and I think that like that that experience of kind of coming from, you know, a maybe unconventional background is actually fairly common. And so I think it's just mm-hmm. a good thing to always call out because you know we're always, you know, the industry is in need of like people from different places, and I think that it also shows that you can. You, you can come into the industry, right? Like, you don't have to necessarily be an engineer. Like, you can have other skills and come from other industries and be successful as well.
1: Actually, on that point, that's a really good point, uh, Christian. And do you feel that you had a particular edge that you could leverage because you have a different background?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for me specifically, you know, my, my goal was to, you know, teach. And, you know, I also was passionate about writing. I still am. And so I think that one of the things you often hear is like how you communicate with others, particularly how do you communicate risk, like how do you get buy-in? And I think that that served me really well across all my roles, right? Because you need to Mm -hmm. interface with, you know, multiple stakeholders, right? Like you have to kind of think of like audience oriented communication. And so I think that certainly was an advantage because I would I was able to come in and and feel very comfortable speaking with with people, being able to hopefully articulate a point that landed with everyone. So absolutely, I think that that's a strength for anyone that's coming in that may not be a security engineer or an engineer by by trade.
1: And do you see that as a trend in our industry that a security professional, security professional being deep into the tech world, we tend to have a challenge on communicating with the rest of the business because we tend to be. Sorry for the stereotype—the geeky person with the hoodie on that sits in front of uh, uh num numbers and numbers crunching—and then when we get to the human interaction, we say bunch of technical stuff and we mm-hmm. confuse the hell out of uh, <laughs> business people.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I've definitely met a lot of really good uh, security engineers that know how to communicate. So. You know, I would say that I think it's just always important to, you know, keep that top of mind that like, as you, you know, are thinking through risk and and thinking through solutions, right? Because like we want to, you know, uh, be like solutions solutions oriented in our roles. We want to think about like how we can provide or enable others. It's always important to think about how are you going to communicate that, right? How are you going to tell and, and share the value of your work? And so I think that any time you can carve out the time to include that as part of the work. Like, you know, yes, you have the technical solution. Yes, you have, you know, the the code or the tool that's going to, you know, ultimately land that. But, you know, how are you going to deliver that? How is that going to be shared? I think is like invaluable. That's
1: a really important point. Telling the story around data, around risk. I think we are massively lacking. That expertise or that ability to storytelling. Do you see that as one of the trends in our industry? What, what, what's in your opinion the state of the industry right now?
2: Well, I certainly think that the the narrative you you need to control the narrative about your program and the work that your team does, and I think that's really important. You know, in in my current role and in my previous role, that was definitely something that we you know we you know as a management team, um, we're constantly thinking about because you know you want to be able to. Tell show the value you work, and also be able to educate others and bring them into the conversation. And so sometimes that involves offering up a taxonomy or a language that you both can kind of engage with. And so I do think that's really important. And so as a program is being built, thinking about how are you going to share that with the appropriate audiences, whether that's management, whether that's developers, you know, whoever your customers are, like we need to you know to to do that. And I think that becomes incredibly important, especially as now you know you hear a lot about value and costs mm-hmm. and like how you know how are we going to make sure that we're efficient right Um, you can you can do that by controlling the narrative and having a good narrative around like how you're delivering value how you're you're doing that and especially around security engineering right where you're building solutions you're building tools you're enabling customers of various kinds you know that's where you know you can then showcase that value and especially when you know we're thinking about hey like where are the Where the redundancies, like with respect to tools, right, or like, hey, where are the redundancies with respect to X or Y? You, You know, I think that that's going to be a big, that's going to be a continued theme you're going to see. Like, how can we become more efficient? You know, how can we become better at these things?
1: Right, but before becoming efficient, I would like to ask you a question. How do you start an application security program? Because you can't you can't bring efficiency if you don't have anything in place, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, I think in order to, you know, first and foremost, you need to understand, you know, what the what the current state is, but also how you know those interactions, you know, with customers and who you're going to ultimately be serving is really important. I also think that, you know, understanding what the needs of the company are going to be, because, you know, maybe you want to start an application security program, but is that the right thing to do at the moment, right? Is it, does that make sense to pursue now versus something else? But let's assume that that is the case, right? And we want to make sure that we are writing secure software, that developers feel supported and enabled, that we are enabling the business to continue to grow lines of business, you know, I think, you know, kind of understanding where developers are operating, understanding, you know, what people are using, understanding how, you know, processes and within the engineering organization function. So then you can start to make investments or think about investments. So we're actually going, we, we want some of that. We've been doing some of that now in our planning where we're thinking about what are the investment areas. And I was during the planning phase, I was very much like, let's use the word investments because I want to just make sure I want mm-hmm. I want people to kind of get into this habit of thinking about, an investment is like a long-term bet, right? So we're making an investment here and a collection of these investments ultimately like form a strategy that's gonna, you know, better support the team and better support the business. So I think like having a keen understanding of those things like helps to start building that
1: program. I really, really like the investment approach because application security tend to be long hold. It's like you you own a stock, you own a very long hold stock, and in order to see the benefit, you have to put a lot of groundwork to get to train the security engineers. There is some tactical of element that you can do, and some immediate metrics. And maybe you want to touch on that, uh, on that aspect that you can bring to show really immediate value. But it's a, it's a really long term building of relationship of training. Would you? Link as well, a return on investment on that investment.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, and I think this goes back to the the narrative, right? It's like, I think if you talk about these investments and then you're able to then, you know, tie them to a long, you know, and ultimately, you know, tell the story of that long-term strategy, you can then start to then measure that invest, those investments and then say like, here are the reduction in X, here's the increase in Y Whatever those metrics are, right? Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, like you do, have to at some point show what the ROI is going to be on those investments, right? If we're really going to use that investment analogy, and I do think that you you can do that. And so, you know, part of it is going to be, you know, identifying those investment areas, and then part of it is being able to make sure you're selling that, you know, correctly to people because they will ask, like, okay, great, like this is an investment area, but show me how this is going to make, you know, support developers and writing secure software. How is this going to reduce our risk in these areas? So,
1: right, because no business wise person will say, I don't care about security or well, maybe they will say security is taken care of. But what that practically means and from, yeah, care about security on you're going to invest X amount of development time on actually fixing everything, there is a huge leap of investment. So on that point, there is a lot of discussion about, for example, security champion program or in general activities that are possibly difficult to measure in terms of investments and in terms of return on investment. What metrics would you use to actually evidence or maybe link to the effectiveness of a security program?
2: Yeah, that actually I was having this discussion recently where we were talking about, you know, uh, developer, like being able to give developers training. And I, th- I think this is like a, a really a, a point that a lot of people kind of discuss in, in their programs. It's like we, we want to be able to scale the program, right? Mm-hmm. We know we're never going to have 200 security engineers on a team. So w- how can we scale the program? We can do that with some tooling. But the other part of it is how can we empower people to make security decisions, right? So we talk about like context and giving people like the enough context to make those decisions. Right. So that's one way we can do it. But we were having this discussion recently around like how, what are the, what are the outcomes, right. For, for developer training. And so, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be a sort of checkbox exercise. And so thinking about a like identifying the outcomes, right. So what are the outcomes? If we decide to give everyone threat model training as an example, right. Like Mm -hmm. if everyone gets threat model training, how can we then, like what are the outcomes from that and then from there like how can we then make that part of you know their you know their ideation and their development such that maybe we can start to tie we can start to identify like you know the 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 ways in which they're actually doing it in practice and then we can say okay here's the actual outcome because in by adding it as part of their of their development ideation phases we've seen you know some of these you know so, you know some of the designs that come to us are better Right? Or like they have they, right. they think about these controls and things, right? So, you know, that that that's sort of like where that, that's one of the more recent examples that I've been thinking about of like how can we, you know, take some t- take that outcome and then be able to inject it back into that fa- that that process, so then we can measure the process better. Security champions is interesting because I think that uh it sounds great on paper, but I just don't know, you know, I, I it sounds great on paper, but I also don't know if there's an easy way to kind of measure that at all. But also too, I think that there's probably other more like high-leverage activities that you can you would like, I, I would much prefer to kind of think through like developer training a little bit more thoughtfully mm-hmm. than that, because with security champions, like there's, you know, you have to also be very careful and thoughtful about like what you're asking those people to take on. And I think that you might be able to lean into relationships a little bit more give people like guidance on like testing practices or like build tooling for them or other things that might be more high leverage, right? And that could still have the same outcomes.
0: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click.
1: I, I like the way you're taking this to actually express impact on security development time and how you can be impactful. But there is another important point that you really touched on that is very Close to my heart. That is, how do you empower developer to actually spend time on this, on fixing security stuff? Because you can, like, if you take the security champion, if you take the training, you can spend X amount of hours. But if their objective and their OKR are linked to send code as quickly as possible, that's not a culture of security. They will never be empowered with all the training in the world to actually go and fix security or upgrade or spend cycles on security, Mm -hmm. even test threat modeling. So how do we get the business buy-in to actually practically have metrics that encourage developer to actually actually do security and to be rewarded for doing security? That is not just a nice mascot or a sticker or like something more practical (laughs) and and something that they will feel proud when they're doing their uh, annual review or their performance review. Yeah, you've done a lot of security stuff in here.
2: Yeah, actually, there was I was having a discussion with uh, with this with a peer who actually worked at Amazon, and and she and she shared with me that like that's actually a metric that's part of you know like you know performance and, and things like that, which I found interesting. That hasn't I haven't worked at a place that's done that yet. But but going back to kind of making people you know feel empowered and caring about this. And I think that that really initially is like the work of the of the security team itself to, mm-hmm. you know, first be introspective. I think like looking at, you know, let's just assume that we do have the data to kind of start digging into and understanding like where, where we're seeing these vulnerabilities and whether that's through your SAS, your SAS, your SAS or DAS tooling, um, maybe you're cutting Jira tickets and 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 developers are fixing things. I think kind of understanding like the teams that are you know that the the teams where like that the, they do have to go and 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 make those changes because maybe they you know they they either they were there found as a result of a penetration test or like it was a finding in your scanner, and kind of understanding like which teams are doing that a lot and then kind of engaging mm-hmm. with them and starting to build relationships and say like hey we see an opportunity to you know either you know spend some time with you and threat model more or maybe there's a a wrapper we can build or maybe there's a process we can put in place. To bring awareness to this, right? Or maybe it's asking them very directly, like, you know, what's your comfort level with these things, right? And I think that really just, well, it really leads into the the thing that we talk about a lot in the industry is just building those relationships with people, right?
1: As an example, a meaningful relationship. Like when right. you're describing a meaningful relationship, they're not like, how can we help? But we've seen these strengths, like coming to a meeting with already data and context about those development cycle and saying, we've seen a trending of you making the same issue around, I don't know, authentication. Let's focus maybe a couple of sprint, a couple of cycle on authentication, or uh, maybe let's develop together a library to interface with our identity provider, or I don't know, input validation might be an issue. And I'm talking from my experience, by looking at trending, you get invited. More into the sprint, into the retrospective, because you bring value. You're not a blocker. You're actually you bring that level of insight that is not generic. Like here's a training, go and train on stuff. And maybe the issue that you're making is input validation and you're getting trained on XSS. Uh, that's similar, but you know, it's not really targeting the pain. It's not it's not really having the maximum return on investment on the impact that you can have on on developer right and i'm like a broker (laughs) (laughs) listen you you uh
2: i think you uh i think you're doing a good job of, of of exactly selling what what we what we want right i mean i think that the that same peer that i had mentioned right you know we were talking about you know she was asking about like my roadmap and like what what i was thinking about in terms of like how we can support you know secure software development internally and you know my program is still very nascent. It's, for, you know, I've been here for four months. And so we're just building out, you know, like fundamental pieces. And one of those things is really kind of leaning into a like more formal threat model practice. And she was like, I would love to be able to partner with you and like bring that practice to my team first. And let's be an early adopter of like really doing that in a way that is repeatable and we can do it long-term and it becomes a muscle that we can strengthen. And so, mm-hmm. and so, and that's, that's what I mean. I think we need to uh, like, you know, it, And any program early days you need to do that work you need to be able to kind of form those relationships and those partnerships and do that and then from there like you can start to socialize you can point back to successes and even as to your point before around kind of those you know not being generic right when you come with data when you come with like hey like over the past quarter like we've seen like these amount of findings right Or we've, you know, through you know a year's worth of penetration tests, we found that the that the feature that you know you currently own is susceptible to these things. Like, let's talk about like how we can make improvements, or like what we can build together to do that. And I think that just goes such a long way because you're bringing data to that discussion as well.
1: Yeah, and I really like that approach because you're not only bringing data, but you're bringing proposition. So you you're not saying you shall fix this issue with SLA, X, Y, and Z that unfortunately, all our regulators are pushing that kind of narrative and is, I think, decremental to the relationship that we're trying to build with developers. But also, you bring in value, you bring in value already to a conversation that otherwise will be stifled by metrics that are not really fostering relationship and fostering impact
2: yeah and i think also i mean there needs to be a, of course a willingness with the other team to, to to engage in that but you know i think that that's where you know that's where the security team can come in and you know and, you know first and foremost i like, be empathetic with them because like they're you know these teams are having to build software and ship it fast you know first and foremost being empathetic and 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 just kind of understanding what their challenges are and i think once you do that you can start to bring solutions that you know, are appropriate for those teams, right? Because that's the other thing too, is that the the needs of that team versus others are going to be different. So I think being aware of that, and then you can you can you can have those successes and then again you can point back to them and then that becomes the 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 fuel for the buy-in for the rest of the other teams or the rest of the org, etc.
1: I agree, but there is an important factor that you you kind of highlighted that that is the buy-in or the business buy-in on actually fixing stuff, they they need to be free and able to actually do this exercise and sit on spring planning before even doing anything. So having those OKR and those metrics and to actually authorize them to even talk to security, to spend time with security, I think is important. What would be a set of metrics that you would uh, throw at a product team instead of a security team?
2: That's a good question. I think uh, in terms of, you know, uh, what I would be, I mean, I'm always interested in adoption metrics. I think that's really interesting Mm -hmm. to me because I want to know, you know, if we're talking about a feature, like how widely it's used, because then I think that like that, that becomes an interesting, you know, an interesting launching pad into like how it might be abused. So if we're getting wide adoption of something, I'd like to know, uh, I like to know that because then that might be something we'd want to look at. I also am really also interested in learning about sort of churn and friction, churn and friction with, with something, right? Because I think from there too, like, I wonder if there's opportunities for security to support a product in that way, you know, and make it easier. Like, let's just say a customer is not using, is like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not using the product because of these reasons, right? Are they, right are they not using it because the product is, uh, a lot of friction? Is it because of security? Is there a security control or something that's causing that? Whatever it is. But I think that that's also interesting. And I think it also could be an opportunity for security to help enable, if it makes sense. So that's another another metric that I'd like to kind of dig into, like as a product, uh, metric. And then thinking oh uh, and then I also think uh you know if if we're talking about like a security impacting feature, you know, how often is how often are people using it? How people are, you know, if people are disabling it, right? Because I think from there then we kind of start to think about like what's that user experience. It forces us to be more user centric. And those are all things that I that we're kind of talking about, you know, now and I think we've talked about previously as well.
1: So so security Feature and applying product metrics to security feature. It's an interesting, it's an interesting angle. But is yeah, it, isn't mean, security always frictionful? Like, if you think about it, like aside, like HTTPS, aside few things that have become the norm, like even MFA, is mm-hmm. frictionful. Offering it is becoming the norm, but a lot of steps that we traditionally put together, like role-based access control or a few things, are not going to remove friction Are going to add friction. So where is the balance of security versus usability?
2: Yeah, I, I I would say that we should always be thinking about it in terms of, of experiences. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are correct that there is some friction as a result of like an MFA prompt or of a password requirement. But I think there's opportunities there to generate or create like a user experience that makes people understand its value and understand why they're being asked to do something. And I think that's where the value is, right? So, you know, it could be something as simple as a banner or it could show even a password. Like there was a really great, there were some really great articles from Segment, you know, that talk about like the, the creation of like the password of a password strength meter on there. And like you'd be surprised that these like very like small visual elements like make people feel like, okay, like maybe I'm doing something that's good, right? Or like maybe I'm being you know nudged in a direction that might help me secure my account or do something, right? But I think like that's where the value we can provide value mm-hmm. is by trying to think about experiences. And then if we can at least provide a, a a positive experience for people, then maybe that friction like is 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 fine and we can accept that because the user knows, okay, by doing this, like I'm I'm doing a positive behavior or like I'm adding security to my current context, whatever that is.
1: So, and I think that's where we can probably add that value. You bring in, you made me think about something else now to actually use security as a feature and as a differentiator, actually, to actually bring in a product in the forefront. Have you seen that as a, different narrative or different way to flip it into a product instead of saying you shall do this as a product you can say we can be this most secure product in the marketplace because we have x y and z feature
2: i mean i think that i think that just the security features as a product differentiator is like something that i think all i mean it's certainly been in discussions that i've you know on the teams that i've been on and so it becomes like this trust assurance, right? Like the customer mm-hmm. that's coming to the product like feels like they could put their trust in it because, because of that. And so I think I think I think it I think it makes sense to try to, you know, give customers as many trust assurance as possible. And that can come in many forms. I mean, I know we talked about kind of the user experience, right? But maybe that also comes in, you know, the form of, you know, how you communicate. You know the 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 security of the product to to the customer, right? I think staying away from being like, well, we're the most secure product in the in all the world, so like you should use it, right?
1: But, <laughs> I'm, but I I'm do being think fictitious. I, no,
2: I'm I know. Being of course, on purpose. No, <laughs> I, <know>, I do <laughs> But 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 of course, I think that also comes back to something we we touched on very early: is the narrative, right? It's like what is the narrative around the work that the security team is doing? How is that visible? How does that help to communicate a, a, a trust assurance to someone that? Is looking at several products and and needs to wants to make a decision on that, right? So I think that's where you know your experiences that you create, the narrative that you 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 create, like do that like automatically. Brilliant.
1: Unfortunately, we're coming close to the end of the podcast, and we have a tradition, Christian, here on leaving everybody with a woman fuzzy feeling. So we have a tradition on the on the podcast that is closing with a positive message. What will be your take in all the discussion that we had on a positive close? You know, I th- the 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 industry is is
2: really an interesting space to be in. I think if you're curious, I think if you want to be in an industry that is going to you know really kind of give you exposure to 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 challenges that really kind of you know, are, you know, impact not only co- corporations, but clearly is now, you know, impacting, you know, you know, government and a number of other places like this is a really great industry to be in. And I also think just to keep top you know, top of mind that, it is challenging to it is challenging because there's so many things you could be involved in but it does don't let that stop you from 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 trying to, to to be a part of it and I think that there's a lot of welcoming people in this industry that will support you that was certainly the case with me and I think that we should always just make sure that we empower people to to come into this industry and make an impact and to grow and 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 to really just you know change the industry and their their own lives as well so and I'm looking forward to the next 30 40 years of it
1: Wave of new generation of security folks. Christian, if people want to see more of you, what you write, what you talk about, where they can find you.
2: You can, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. I'm on Twitter um, as well. Harvey Wells on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as as you like. And, you know, I would say, you know, check me out there.
1: Brilliant. If you haven't considered starting in cyber, if you have friends that are haven't considered starting in cyber, this is your clue and input to go and evangelize and maybe bring another person from a left field into the security space because we definitely need you and we are welcoming a bunch of folks, even though a little bit crazy about certain aspects of security. (laughs) (laughs) We are passionate, they're not they're not
2: they're not crazy, they're passionate.
1: Absolutely. Christian, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you about application security. And everybody, stay safe out there and involve as many people as you can. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.